And for all the rest of you, if you've uh, brought your Bibles here this morning, and I hope that you have, you can turn with me to the book of Luke, uh, to the to the end of the 10th chapter, I want to read the last uh, about five verses there, verses 38 through 42. So that's Luke chapter 10, uh, and we're going to start at verse 38. And while you're finding that, uh, let me say once again, it's good to see you all here this morning. Good to be here uh, in the house of God. Uh, good to be here amongst the people that want to worship the Lord in spirit and truth. Uh, it's just a good day to be serving the Lord. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving, and came to him and said, Lord, doest thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Did her, did her bid her therefore that she help me? And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. Let us go to the Lord together in a word of prayer. Will you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we just humbly come before you here to, uh, this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the good day and for the many blessings. We thank you for the opportunity that you've given me, Lord, to uh, not just me, but each one of us to be here this morning and, and to worship you in spirit and truth. Lord, we thank you for the many blessings that you've poured out on us. We thank you, Lord, for the roof that you put over our head. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for uh, the nation that we live in, the freedom that we have to be able to gather here without any kind of fear of persecution, Lord God. We thank you, Lord, for each one who has sacrificed and fought and bled and died so that we might have the freedom to openly worship you here this morning. We thank you, Lord, for uh, every breath that we draw. It's a gift from you, Lord God. But we thank you most of all this morning for your son Jesus, Lord God, that you sent him and that you give him so that we might have life and we might have that life eternally and abundantly. Lord, I, I, I pray and hope that none of us ever take for granted what a great gift, the thing that you have done in giving your only begotten son. Because none of us are worthy, none of us deserved it, none of us uh, uh, have earned it or can earn it. None of us could even, not in a million years, could we do enough to repay you. We can't even thank you enough for what you've done for us in giving your son so that he might die for us so that we could be made right with you. It wasn't because of his sins, because he was without sin, but it was because of our sins that he bore those on Calvary's cross and he shed his life's blood so that we might be able to be redeemed, so that we could be reconciled to you, so that we could be made right once again. And so, Lord, my prayer this morning is, is above everything, that every one of us would recognize that. We would acknowledge that, Lord, and that we would, uh, uh, Lord, that we would lift our voices to you in praise. 
our thoughts, our voices, everything, Lord, would be focused on you. And so, Lord, my prayer is, is that you're glorified in everything that is said and done. And you're pleased with everything that is done here this morning. And so, Lord, my prayer this morning as we move forward then uh, would be that if there's any here that doesn't know you, any that are lost and undone, that today would be the day that they would get saved. Lord, because we're about your business. We're, about our, uh, uh, we're here to see souls saved and added to your kingdom. And so, Lord, I just pray, Lord, that if there is one here that's not even, maybe just not sure where they stand with you, that today would be the day that they would get that assurance. Today would be the day they would repent before it's too late. Today would be the day that they would surrender it all to you. And Lord, if there's any that are backslidden or not, uh, you know, or just not where they ought to be or, or, or not where they once were, Lord, let today be the day they would come to themselves, Lord, and they'd come back to you. And if there's any here tonight or this morning that's maybe just burdened with something, maybe that are struggling with something or have a need, whatever it is, Lord, you know their hearts. And so, Lord, I just pray that you'd meet every need here this morning. And, Lord, that each one of us would leave here closer to you than when we come in. And, Lord, let me ask one more thing. I need your help this morning. I can't preach without you, and I know that. So, Lord, I'm asking that you would just move in a mighty way. God, that you would stir my, uh, uh, my thinking and my heart. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would stir each heart here this morning. I pray, Lord, that you'd clear my thoughts of everything except for your message, your thoughts, your words, and you'd place on my tongue the very things you'd have me to say this morning. Lord, that you'd anoint me, Lord, from on high. Uh, fill me full of your spirit, Lord, that I might be able to preach from my spirit to their spirit, Lord, your word just exactly how you'd have it done. And, Lord, each one would have receptive hearts here this morning. Each one of us would leave here not just hearers but doers of your word. And so, Lord, I'm just asking, have your way and your will in our midst, and we'll give you the glory for it. Lord, just uh, move in a mighty way. Lord, we love you, we worship you, we praise your holy name. And I ask it all in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. All right, as we look at this and we look at this uh, story here in the scriptures, I got started talking about it before uh, our worship service, and that's why I was a few minutes late getting up here. Uh, but anyway, so I, I, I guess I was really ready to preach it. I was preaching it, I guess, sort of, before I even got started. But anyways, let's look at this for just a minute here this morning. Uh, you know, it's been famously said at different times in the past, and I don't know who originally to said it, so or I would attribute it to them. But anyways, it's been famously said that action expresses priorities. So a priority is by definition something, a matter that is uh, that ranks above all others in importance. Right? That's what a priority is. It's something you put above everything else and so anyway so the question that I'm asking you this morning right I mean because there's a lot of there, there's probably no telling how many good messages right here in these five verses right I can think of at least three or maybe even four different ones that I've preached from it over the years and so there's a lot of different things that can be said about it but I want to talk about priorities this morning and so anyways a priority as I've already said is something that we rank above something else in importance we put it over other things and so 
If this is true then, if our actions, right, I start out with a, with a quote that action expresses priorities, and if this is true, then where do your priorities lie? What do you hold most dear? What do you really um, treasure? What is really important uh, to you? What do you spend your time on? What do you think about the most? Where do you spend your money? I'm not talking about your, your bills, you know, that you have to pay, you know, your, your day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month bills that have to be paid just so that, you know, your living expenses, right, turn the lights on, buy food and water, that kind of thing. I'm talking about whatever money is left over, whether it's a little bit or a lot. Where do you spend it? I heard an old preacher say one time years ago, please don't tell me what you believe. Tell me what you do, and I'll tell you what you believe. Right? He was saying, in other words, you, the same thing that I said a minute ago, that your actions, uh, they, they tell on you, right? They express your priorities. They reveal uh, what is the things that you care the most about. Remember, and I talked about this last week, that our lives are to be a living sacrifice, right? We're to die to self daily. We're to pick up our crosses and follow Jesus, seeking first the kingdom of God. You see, the highest priority in life is to love God more than anything else. And that should be what determines our actions. That should be what governs, decides what we use to, to, to decide what we do and, and how we do it and what we spend our time and our money and so forth and so, uh, so on on. If you look at this, to get back to the text here, if you look at this, uh, first of all, Martha and Mary are the sisters of, uh, of Lazarus. And this is the Lazarus that Jesus raised from the dead in John chapter 11, right? Uh, that's the one I, I love to talk about, that resurrection. And, and, and I like that whole thing, and it's hard for me not to just go on and preach about it. But anyways, if you look at John chapter 11, uh, that is the whole chapter is really leading up to that, right? And and then towards the middle of the last part is where you see and he interacts with Mary and Martha again and Lazarus has been in the dead for, been in the tomb four days right and and he tells them to roll back the stone and, and and they're saying but he stinks Lord and that's where he cries out Lazarus come forth and I mean I've always liked that you know you ever thought about that why did he say Lazarus why didn't he just say come forth because if he would have just said come forth every dead person that any everybody that ever died would have come out of the grave at that moment. That's what kind of power there is in Christ's word. So he says, Lazarus, come forth. This is the, he, this is the home that he is in here in Luke chapter 10. The Mary and Martha that is being talked about are the same Mary and Martha from that uh, event, that story, right? That's Lazarus' sisters. And so what we have here And what would be a good message about this is distracted. Martha is distracted. She's cumbered about 
uh, with, with all these doings and all these things that needed to be done. And that just kind of the type of person that she was. But really what has happened is, is Martha is distracted from, uh, from what should have been her highest priority, learning from Jesus. And so as we look at this, she's wor- Martha is worried and she's upset about all the household chores that are that need to be done that you know so that you know that to make everything nice and the, and so that everybody can eat and so that everything is taken care of and, and I mean you understand how all that goes right all those things that need to be done whenever you have company especially when you have a big crowd or more cutting than what you're used to and here you've got a special guest the most actually the most special guest you'll ever have in your home and I think Martha will realize that and recognize that and so she wanted everything to be perfect and so she is so busy so busy taking care of these things that she's distracted, right? That her attention is not on what it should be, right? Her priorities have gotten, have gotten messed up. And so she's all upset about all this, and she's irritated with her sister Mary because Mary wasn't helping, you see. Mary was, uh, she was there at the feet of Jesus, learning. And so Jesus makes it clear when we read this that Martha's focus should have been the same as her sister's, sitting at the master's feet. Let me say a couple of things real quick. You find Mary and Martha in the scriptures three times. Right here in Luke chapter 10, and then over in John chapter 11 verse 32, and then again they appear in John chapter 12 and verse 3. And the thing that's interesting to me is in all three instances, Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. Now, the little thing that we were talking about before the service here this morning and I was mentioning, which I had not planned on mentioning as part of my sermon, but sitting there at the feet of Jesus, uh, that was the, the position of a disciple. Someone who was learning. And in that culture, in that day and time, that is not the woman's place, right? That would have been really looked down on. There would have been a lot of people that would have had a problem with this. Really, we could probably say part of Martha's problem was if she was coming and she was telling, she told Jesus, tell her to get in her place. Her place, right? The mindset of that day and time was the woman's place was in the kitchen. It wasn't there as a disciple. She wasn't a man. She wasn't a male, so she couldn't hold that position. That is what society in Jewish culture said in that day and that time. But Jesus had a completely different response. Jesus, we see as we go through uh, the New Testament, especially the Gospels, we see Jesus restoring proper order to all of creation, right? We go back to the Garden of Eden. We see there that when Eve is is created, she she is part of Adam and comes out of his side, right? She is made from a rib, right? She's not made from a toe or a foot bone. She's not to be under his feet. She's not made from the crown of his head either. She's not to be over him, but she comes from his side she is to be his equal and so we see that and we see Jesus restoring that order and that's what we were talking about here this morning but the thing that is interesting to me is all three times that we encounter Mary she is sitting there 
at the feet of Jesus. I'll give you one more interesting thing before we move on. If you were to look at this whole chapter, chapter 10, you would see, first of all, um, the 70 being sent out, right? They're sent out two by two. And then the, the 70 is sent out two by two. And then, so, so if you're looking at chapter 10, you see Jesus sending out the 70. You see him giving instructions to the 70. And then, obviously, we fast forward in time because we immediately go into the return of the 70, right? The 70 return, and they're, all, they're full of joy, right? They are excited. They couldn't believe all the things that they'd saw. And so Jesus is excited, too, for them, obviously, joyously, obviously, also. But he also kind of gives them a little bit of word of warning, right? And he mentions a few things, and that's where he says, I beheld Satan fall, you know, he talks about all that stuff, right? And then he prays. And then we have a lawyer who's going to try to tempt Jesus. The scripture says tempt, meaning test him. Now a lawyer, by definition, is an expert in law. And that probably fits the definition of a lawyer today too, right? They go to law school and they have to pass the bar, right? They're supposed to be an expert in the law. That's why you hire them to handle your legal issues because they, we are not expert. Your average person is not an expert in the law. The law is complicated. Lawyers are experts in the law. Well, it wasn't any different then either. A lawyer is somebody who's an expert in the law. But the law that, they, that these lawyers were expert in is the law of Moses. Right? What you find back there in the first five books of the Bible, right? Specifically what you find in um, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers a little bit, but repeated in Deuteronomy. They are an expert in the law. And so he's trying to trip Jesus up. He's trying to test him. He's trying to tempt him. Right? And so this lawyer steps up, which the lawyers were usually one of the Pharisees. He steps up and he asks Jesus, he says, what must I do to, be, to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, boy, how do you read the law? What's it say to you? And he goes through the whole thing. He says, well, it tells us to love the Lord thy God with all thy... And he goes through, you know, heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love thy neighbor as thyself. Jesus says, good job. That's exactly right. He said, go and do likewise. In other words, go and live it. Then the lawyer is immediately convicted by his own words and in order to justify himself, I believe that's the exact word used in the scripture, in order to justify himself, he says, who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? Then that's where Jesus goes into the whole story, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And he goes through that whole thing. And when he gets to the end, of course, if you haven't read that, read it this afternoon. When he, gets, when he gets to the end of it, he asks the lawyer, he says, so you tell me who the neighbor was. The lawyer says, well, the one that, I can see him with his head hung low, right? It wasn't the answer he wanted, but it's obvious at that point. He said the one who showed mercy, right? The Samaritan, the ones that were hated, the half-breeds, right? That the was scum of the earth. That's the one that was the neighbor. And we immediately roll from that scene to this one. 
And we've got, so, so we've got the contrast, right, through all of this, right, uh, of, of the lawyer and the, and the neighbor, right, and it, which is the Samaritan. And we've got Mary and we've got Martha. And, and in both cases, right, the lawyer and Martha is busy. They're cumbered about with much work, but they're missing the point of the whole thing. I actually think the whole point of the whole chapter is, is the Lord's tried to convert lawyers into neighbors and Martha's into Mary's. I think, I think if you miss that, you miss the whole point of this whole chapter and what's going on here. So here, we, so here we've got this whole thing, right? And we see that Mary, or I mean that Martha, is, 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 she's missed it, right? She is focused on the wrong thing. Her priorities are messed up. I want to tell you that we have that same problem today. If we're not careful, we'll get our priorities messed up. So what I want to do this morning before I leave here is I got three questions I want to ask you. And I think these three questions, I want to ask you these three questions in order to help us to examine our own priorities. So here's my first question. Oh, these are simple questions. You will not have a hard time answering them. What do you spend your time doing? What do you spend your time doing? The scriptures tells us if you were to go to Ephesians chapter 5 and look at like verses 15, 16, 17, 18, somewhere right in there, it tells us not to be foolish, right? Not to be unwise, but we are to be wise, right? And it says specifically in verse 16, redeeming the time because the days are evil right? We are to be wise, not foolish, right? We need to be wise with our time. That's what redeeming the days are because the time is short, right? Redeeming the time because the days are evil. If you look at Psalms chapter 90 and verse 12 there, uh, the psalmist says, so teach us, right? He's talking to God. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Listen to me, church. Too many people give God only whatever leftover time that they have. They put him in second, third, or even last place on their calendar. Listen to me. I want you to understand what I'm saying here. And I know that there's been a lot of sickness. I know there's been a lot of sickness and, and an abnormal amount for the last two years. I understand that. I get that. I'm, I'm not talking about that necessarily. But what I am talking about here is what is your priorities? Where is your time? Both at home and then when it comes to worship and when it comes to serving the Lord and, and doing the things that God has called us to do. Listen to me. Every one of us has the same amount of time each day. You don't have more or less than what I do. We've got 24 hours in a day. Now, I don't know how many days I've got left, and then you don't know how many days you've got left. But make the best use of the day that you've got right now, right? We've all got today. Redeeming the time because the days are evil, right? Every one of us. <laughs> the only difference between you and I and whoever else that we want to look at or compare to here, the only difference is what we choose to spend that time on. Do you realize that what we do for Christ is the only thing that we do that has eternal value? 
Everything else is going to fade away. Everything else is, if it's even noticed at all, will soon be forgotten. Right? If, it'll be, if it's material, riches, and money, it's going to be gone one day. It's going to be burned out. It's not, you're not going to take it to heaven with you. It's not going to make any difference there. Uh, only what we do for the Lord. Those are the only things that has eternal value. Right? That's why Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount to, to, to store our riches in heaven, right? Where moth and rust and, and thieves and such won't get to it and destroy it or steal it. Somebody once said, only one life, how did that go? Only one life will soon be passed. Only what is done for Christ will last. Listen to me. One day, you're going to stand before God and examine your priorities. And is second, third, or last place really where you want what you want to be answering for whenever you're examining the priorities on your calendar with God? We are so bad, so bad to make sure that we've taken care of everything else. And then if we have any time left over and if there's not something else that we'd rather be doing, then we'll give it to God. We'll just kind of fill in the cracks with Him. Now listen. I'll be the first to admit, I know, that I have not given God as much time as I should have and could have. I'll be the first to confess that. Uh, the pressures of life, they rob us of our time uh, for the Lord. I know that. That's probably one, that's probably one of the best tricks, that, one of the better tricks that Satan has come up with uh, is keeping us busy. Right? If we, when we get busy, we just like Martha, we get distracted, our priorities get all messed up. I always think that later on, I will have more time for the Lord's work. Right? I always think, well, once I get this done, right? Once I get past this point in my life, or once I accomplish this task, then things will open up and I'll have more time to serve the Lord. You know what? It never happens. It seems like just the more and more things are always demanding more and more of my time. More time later never happens. Make time for Him now. You will not find time for God by accident or by waiting or, or whatever, you will have to make time for Him a priority now or it will never happen. Let me let you in on a little secret. If you will put God first, right? Uh, think about, you know, filling out the time slots on the calendar. If you'll pencil Him in first, you'll be amazed at what else that you'll be able to get done and how things will fall into place.
No, uh, okay. I, I, it's just, it's a, when I pastored down at Dry Creek, there's a story a farmer told me, and I'm just passing it on to you. It's what he said. I'll tell you his name, Van Turner. You go ask him about it, all right? It's a story he told me I'm passing on to you. I am not condemning anybody in any way, shape, or form. You answer the Lord, right? And it's between you and the Lord. Always, every community, uh, rural community, church, you pastor, there are certain times of the year, certain things happen, and it puts a real squeeze on time. One thing with farmers is always is putting up hay. And Van was, we were talking one day, and it was the end of service, and it was back there by the back door, and we were visiting, it was going out, and I think I asked him if he was going to go take a nap, and he said, no, I've got hay, I've got to go get up. And he said, you know, he said, I don't know what's wrong with me. He said, I don't know why I feel like I've got to do it this afternoon. He said, I used to, and this was what he said. He said, I used to would never do any work like that on Sunday at all. He said, I would have let the hay got wet and ruined and lost it before I did. And he said, you know, in all those years, he said, I never lost any. Never happened. He said, there were some times where it was really close and I was afraid that I was going to, but he said, I never did. And he said, I don't know what has happened to me. He said, over the years where I've just somehow, sometime, one time I thought I had to, and I just started and I just become okay with it. That's the way that kind of thing happens and that kind of thing works. I'm guilty of my own thing. Listen to me. I am guilty. I'm not condemning anybody else. I'm guilty of my own things. In these days, which seem busier than ever, it's not always easy to make time. I, I was kind of alluding to, well, it's not easy to make time, whatever, whether it's worshiping, uh, whether it's going out and maybe God puts somebody in your heart to talk to, maybe God's giving you a ministry, going out and do that. Maybe it's just as simple as reading the scriptures. Listen to me. Do you know, first of all, there's 1,189 chapters in the Bible. And do you realize how easy it is to read the whole thing in one year? You can read just, if you divide 1189 by 365, you end up with just a little over three, right? It's three point something. Actually, if you take and you read three chapters every day and five on Sunday, you read the whole thing in a year. Actually, you have a couple days left over, but you read the whole thing in a year. Do you realize that... The average three chapters, now I realize some chapters are longer than others, some are shorter than others, but do you realize that the average reader can read the average three chapters of the Bible in just about 15 minutes flat? 15 minutes. Think about that. 15 minutes, give a little extra, 25 or 30 on Sunday, and you can read the whole Bible cover to cover in a year. And you might be sitting there saying there's no way. You know, you might be thinking, I'm a slow reader or whatever. I mean, I've said those things before. I used to think I was a slow reader until I figured out that I was average. But anyways, even if it took you 30 minutes, so what? So what? It'll be the best 30 minutes you spend all day. 
If you, if you take that same math and apply it to the rest of the scripture, do you realize that you can read the entire New Testament in 17 hours? You can read all four Gospels, right? From the beginning of Matthew to the end of John in five and a half hours. Do you know what five and a half hours is? That's like about, about the length or just a hair more than the length of watching two movies in one day. How many of you have watched two movies in one day before? I bet if we were going to be honest, probably every one of us at some point, and there's probably a lot of us that say, well, I watch two movies in one day about every day. Do you realize that at that rate right there, cut out those two movies and spend, and I'm not telling you to do that, I'm just trying to get you an idea how easy that it is. Do you realize that you could read through the New Testament about every three days? The entire New Testament. Read her twice in a week. Here's what you'll find out. If you begin to give God priority in your life, give Him first priority in your time, your life will be richer. It will have more meaning. Listen to me. When He is first in our priorities in our day, uh, He will guide us in all the decisions that we make. So my question to you, does Christ have first priority in your life? Let me ask you two more. I promised three questions. I've asked one. The next two will be really short. But let me ask you two more questions real quick. What do you think about the most? Colossians chapter 3 and verse 2 says, Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Right? Where do your thoughts dwell? What is it that you become obsessed with and you think about all the time? Right? Where are your thoughts? Listen to me. Setting our affection on things above means striving to put heaven's priorities into our daily practice. Right? It means to think about and to focus on godly things, heavenly things, on heavenly priorities. Right? To think about the things of heaven means to look at life uh, from God's perspective and to um, to seek what he desires, right? Uh, it means that, it, that right there is the cure for materialism, right? Uh, because when we do that, we gain proper perspective on material goods when we see them the way that God sees them. The false teachers and prophets and, and preachers and Christians of this world are uh, focused on material, earthly, physical things instead of spiritual, godly, heavenly things. That's the difference. There are the things that we think on, right? Your thoughts, your plans, your dreams. What are those things? What are your thoughts, your plans, your dreams? What are the intents of your heart? Are they heavenly or are they earthly? And then the third question. Oh, the one that nobody wants to hear. What do you spend your money on? What do you spend your money on? God knows the answer. Ask yourself that, though. You know, some people only give God 
the money that is left over after they've made sure everything else is taken care of. That's what Cain did. And you know how that worked out for him, right? That didn't work out very good at all. Uh, I spent a lot of my life uh, thinking that away, right? Uh, I know a lot of people uh, that have thought that away, that you know they've got to make sure everything else is taken care of. Uh, and then if they have anything left over, right, uh, then they'll give to God if a want doesn't overcome them first. If you want to have the Lord first in your life, you will give Him first claim on your wallet, on your checkbook, on your income. Otherwise, it will become, your money will become an idol to you. Uh, do you know what it says in the book of Malachi? Let me turn there and read it to you real quick. In Malachi uh, chapter 3 and verse 8, it asks, Will a man rob God? Yet you've robbed me. But you say, Where, wherein have we robbed thee? God's response is in tithes and offerings. Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house. And prove me now wherewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the firstfruits of all thine increase. So shall thy um, barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. Barns filled with plenty. Trust God enough to give him back just a little of what is his. And see what if he won't pour you out a blessing. That's what it's saying there. See what if he won't pour you out a blessing. This is the one place in Malachi chapter 3 where you will see God say, Try me. Test me. See what if I'm not telling you the truth. See what if he won't open the windows and pour you out a blessing. Our priority, and I'm done here, our priority is to seek the kingdom of God. This is not a suggestion. This is a clear command from our Lord that, we, that He gave in the Sermon on the Mount. So, does He have your time? Does He have your mind? Does He have your wallet? If He don't have all three of those... I'm not too sure that he has you. How can you say that you have given him your heart, but you won't give him your time, you won't give him your thoughts, and you won't give him your wallet? In other words, you won't let him have priority in your life. It sounds like if that's you, it sounds like your earthly priorities, they might have your heart instead of Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Will you stand to your feet?
I want to open the altar and I want to give you an opportunity to come this morning. If the Spirit of God is dealing with you, if there's a need, if there's a burden, whatever it may be, would you come this morning? Don't miss this opportunity. Whatever it is, would you come this morning? Would you come?